0: All right, well, if you have a Bible with you this morning, we're going to be in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. We are taking a little bit of a break, detour from Hebrews to venture into uh, the season of Advent and the Lord's incarnation and him coming to be with us. I want to draw our attention to something because December 10th, here we are, puts us in touch with more than one thing. So a little bit of an intersection of life is happening this morning. It is the... Still the beginning of the Advent season, so all that we anticipate, celebrate, and enjoy about Christmas is, is coming to fruition at this p- time of the year. But it is also the end of a year, and both of those things are extremely significant, right? So you're going to hear a lot of stuff in the coming weeks about starting the new year and kind of reflection on some previous stuff from last year, and that's, that's a good thing to do, I've got to be honest with you. Because we can just keep going through the same old habits, you know, the old saying, if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to keep getting what you got. And so there's a thing spiritually where that's true too. And, and you're going to hear me conclude the message today with a reality that's in the body of Christ today, a reality in our moment of being Christians and a concern that we have as elders for the flock that's here as well. This may be for some of us, and maybe for some of you guys who are watching uh, us, and we're grateful that we're accessible electronically, but this may be for you the most scattered year of your walk spiritually that you could remember. And if that's the case, you wouldn't be alone. It would be a common experience for many, many Christians today to be more distant in their walk than they've ever remembered being. And none of us get to escape that. And you're going to hear a little bit of the reason of why that is today. So, we're going to interact with this subject of darkness, light, and Christmas. And we're going to do so from the context of some familiar passages that we get used to around Christmas time. But honestly, I, I'm trying to remember, I don't know if I can recall either myself or any message that I sat through in a church where the original context of these familiar passages was unpacked so we could see, hey, when Isaiah first spoke these words, what was going on? So that's what we're going to do today. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 7, or if you can read these couple of scriptures on the screen this morning, we're going to spend most of our time in chapter 8 and the beginning of chapter 9 in Isaiah. But here's Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore... The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, right? God with us. So that's Isaiah chapter seven. And if you fast forward to Isaiah chapter nine, in verse six, these familiar words to us this time of year says, for to us, A child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now those are familiar phrases, right? Some of us could go home right now and find Christmas ornaments with those words on them, hanging from your tree you may have selected a Christmas card this year because those words called out to you. But but long before Hallmark got a hold of these cards, these words, they were spoken into the world at a particular moment by a prophet named Isaiah. And and quite honestly, Isaiah was not thinking about decorating Christmas trees when he said these words. But he was thinking of something and he was speaking into something. And so I I want us to make sure we catch... How we read the Bible, right? The Bible's not this abstract bunch of phrases that we just reach into it and grab it and say, Hey, here's my phrase for the day. Uh, these words have a context. Things were going on. And so I want to highlight three contexts that's going to be from this passage today. The original context is about 734 years before Christ, something's going on there. Then this Prophecy gets mentioned again by Matthew in Matthew chapter four about the day that Christ comes. So now you're about zero AD. Well, actually, you're about thirty AD when that gets said. And then there's our context. There's the world that you and I live in, and these things are still in play: darkness, light, and Christmas. So let me back you up into Isaiah chapter eight. Here's a little bit more of what Isaiah said into that moment. Let's read a pretty good-sized passage here. Isaiah 8, verse 16. Bind up the testimony. Seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord, who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs, importance in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? to the teaching, and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, it's because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. And then chapter nine begins this way. Remember, the, the Bible later gets added chapters and verses, right? It's, it, it doesn't have chapters and verses originally, so there really isn't a chapter nine, but this is the next thought. But There will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. That's the northern tribes of Israel. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. By the way, if you're wondering where that is, that's just north of Gaza. Everybody know where Gaza is now? Right, you're getting a little bit of a Bible land education. This territory is just north of Gaza. Verse 2 The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You've multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. As they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder. The rod of his oppressor you have broken. As on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle to And every garment rolled in blood. Will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's pray together. Lord, there were no Christmas carols, family gatherings, Christmas trees, decorations, in the day in which Isaiah spoke these words to your people. But Lord, they needed to hear that there was a day in which the God of great glory would intrude into their darkness and would bring light. And Isaiah prophesied that, that through this child born, Emmanuel, God with us, would come a light that could disperse darkness. Lord, this is the good news they needed 734 years before Christ. It is the good news that was needed by People at the turn of the century. It is the good news we need today. So, Lord, would you this morning? Would you come and invade our darkness with this light, and let us see the great hope that is found only in this child born to us in Jesus' name? Amen. All right, let's let's make sure we catch the mood here, and not just the Christmas cheer. Right in chapter eight, verse sixteen. Listen to these instructions that Isaiah gives to the people of God. He says, Bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Judah, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me, Isaiah's own children were a sign and a proclamation about what God was doing among them. There are signs of importance in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say, not if they say, but when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter. Should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? So here, here are disciples of the Lord God, the creator, who are doing life in their own dark season. And, and this is what it sounds like for the anointed prophet of God to speak into their Moment, and there's some things here that we want to make sure and take with us on our journey. We're not exactly where they are, but we're very similarly where they are. Notice there's more than one voice and more than one message that they could hear in their day, right? Clearly set in contrast to each other. You, you've got the testimony and the teaching. Right? The revealed word of God is available to them. And that's clearly before them. And then there's another voice to be interacted with. The mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter. Not exactly a favorable description, but their background noise. They're the birds chirping and just the sound of mumbling voices that constantly are available. The voices he's going to end up calling the voices of the dead. And then there's a concern that they're going to be inquired of. The, the word inquiring is used. Should not the people of God inquire of God? It's a colorful word, in the original language. It means to, to consult, to seek, to frequent. That frequently caught my attention. you and I are around sounds, chirps, and mutters frequently, and this was a concern for the god's people in a day that's going to be characterized by great darkness that there is available to the people of God in this hour utter voices, not just god's revelation but other voices that are inquired of that are sought after for guidance what what am i doing what do i aim at right i mean don't don't over spiritualize this and make this just about some nation and some desert setting at some point everybody who's trying to follow god in this world is trying to figure out why am i depressed why am i unhappy why is this so hard why is this not working How do I deal with this delay and this disappointment? This is everybody's story. So at some point, that's their story. And in that moment, you're going to inquire of something. You're going to do it. You're going to reach for some kind of explanation. Somebody explain this to me. And God warns them here. "Shouldn't, Shouldn't you seek the voice of God when you start to feel life in this manner? Because what's awaiting them, if they don't, is thick darkness and colorful language that describes a condition that they don't really even understand. And I'm convinced we don't really understand. A darkness, a pervading darkness in this world. Now, if you will, what Isaiah used the words of his day, mediums and necromancers. Maybe today, if Isaiah were writing, he would have used the word influencers. Influencers. Again, because I mean, I don't know if there's anybody here. It's like, hey, did any of you guys pull into one of those signs and that said mediums available to you this week. And you pulled in, went through the drive through and say, hey, got a few questions. Could you just kind of let me know what's coming? But we kind of did do that with the influencers around us, right? Whether they are influential people and personalities who played a part in a movie that we really liked the way they sounded and they won us over and now they're going to tell us about life or there's guys out there who can dribble the basketball really well and they play like wow and they score lots of points and then they speak about life and we're inclined to listen to them they're influencers they're people who something about their life We kind of get, we identify with. They sound like us. They're from where we're from. They're from our generation. They use our buzzwords. And when we hear something familiar that makes sense to us, then they can say something else to us. Maybe it's our politics. I identify with that guy's view of politics. And now I'm listening to chirping and muttering. And the concern here is if that's what you dial into enough to the neglect of God's word, you you will be overwhelmed by darkness. This is Isaiah's moment. It's the first century's moment. It's our moment as well. And notice the clarity here. It's colorful language. It's theological language. Inquiring of the dead. Are you really seeking the dead for the sake of the living? Is, is this where you're going to to get your go-to how to figure out? Really, just somebody posted some theologically shipwrecked phrase online and you bought it? And you reposted it for other people to vomit over it? Really? Are are we going to the dead to get advice on how to live life that is defined by glorifying God. Those who don't even recognize God haven't used any reference to God except as a a curse word lately. And yet they're speaking about all kinds of things in life. Are we visiting the dead? You remember the scriptures does a great job of theologically putting everybody in two categories. You're either spiritually alive because of the Holy Spirit has regenerated you Or you're dead. And then humbly, we're all invited, right? Ephesians chapter 2 invites us to remember that that's where we come from. That's our ancestry on earth. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the passions of the world. Following the principality in this world. Actively, So, so you, you're going to subscribe to folks who are following the powers of the age? I'm going to subscribe to them. I'm, I'm going to invite their digestion of life and values, what to go after, what to reject, what to get really angry about. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take lessons from the dead. Teach me how to do life as the living. Now, listen, I get, and if you're here this morning, you're going like, well, Keith, I don't stare out at the world and identify. There's two groups. There's the dead and there's the living. Or maybe that's new to you, but it is not new to the Bible. It's everywhere in the Bible because God is going to speak to his people in a way that's going to bring them life, but the world is going to speak differently. And that's just recognized in scripture. So this is, this is the day in which they are living. I know we're kind of at the end here of 2023. You know, it might be, I think this is a good practice. I, 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 I for my own soul, I love the transition moment of going from one year to the next, because it makes me kind of pump the brakes, think through some things, not just keep doing what I'm doing the way I'm doing it. But, but how many guys can recognize, you don't have to raise your hand, but I could use a good detox at the close of 2023. I've absorbed a lot of ideas over this past year. I have been around a lot of stuff. I've, maybe some of you would say, I've kind of noticed some of my convictions shifting. I don't exactly feel the same way I used to about something. All right, well, before that feeling starts to get validated as though, well, maybe my feeling is right, uh, to the teaching and to the testimony. If it's not according to this word, it doesn't matter if my feelings have shifted into this category. My feelings are not the teaching and the testimony and the word of God. But it might make sense to me and it might go off in my feelings. Can I just warn you, your feelings need to be submitted to something. And we cannot act just on whatever feeling that we have somebody Tells us a compelling story, or we feel compassion towards somebody's life, and it shifts our convictions. Uh, our convictions come from God's Word. There's a particular commentator named Tim Chester who wrote a commentary on Isaiah, very accessible, but he sounds like their moment is very much our moment. Listen to his words. He says, It's not. Political plots and conspiracies that we should fear, but the Lord in Isaiah chapter 8. Because they reject God, the people instead consult mediums and spiritists. But that road leads only to darkness. Now, you got to get a little bit of the politics going on here because this is a massive political moment in the nation. You have a king named Ahaz. He's the king of Judah. And if you remember this moment in in biblical history, the nation of Israel is divided. There's a southern kingdom and a northern kingdom. They're all God's kingdom, but they're, they're divided. So there's the nation of Israel, who is the northern tribes, and then there's the nation of Judah, the southern tribe. And so Judah has a king. His name is Ahaz. Somehow the corruption in Israel has caused the king of Israel to come into a deal with the king of Syria. And they're now going to attack Judah. So there's this revolution inside the kingdom of God going on. Ahaz has to figure out, what do I do? The northern kingdom and another hostile kingdom are about to come and attack me. What am I going to do? He's going to make a political alliance with another nation, the nation of Assyria. Not Syria, but Assyria. And if you know anything about biblical history, there's two nations that end up turning and harming the people of God drastically. One of them is Assyria. The other one is the Babylonians. The Assyrians go first. Ahaz enters into a political alliance rather than looking to God. Does that sound familiar? You and I live in a moment where it seems like the thing that we're being told is going to fix our world is political. It's political candidates. It's their platforms. It's their way of addressing things. It's how they will fix and how they will avoid doing this. And they're going to do that instead. And this is ramped up in the last years to a loud, noisy element It is the day in which we live. And I think Isaiah would speak to it as well. But Isaiah is going to say something else in this context, which happens to sound very familiar as well. He's going to speak about economic collapse, which is rather relevant for this moment. If you know, 734 BC follows about 200 years of prosperity, wonderful times of dominance for the people of God on earth. You've got King David, King David, Established the kingdom. Solomon was blessed immensely. And so what followed Solomon was great days of prosperity. But I just want you to notice in just a second here, the story is going to turn from great days of prosperity to great darkness. There's not a person sitting in this room who has known anything except great days of prosperity. Unless you're from a third world country, you just happen to be visiting with us today. You have grown up in some of the most prosperous times in America that have ever existed. You and I don't know anything but prosperity. They didn't know much of, but prosperity too. But Isaiah says it's about to get really dark and your economy is going to collapse. Listen to what he says. Isaiah chapter 8 verse 11 says, for the Lord spoke. Thus to me, Isaiah says, with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people. Can I just point out something in our very accommodating world? Do you ever feel like God sounds like that to you? Do you ever interact with the Holy Spirit and read the Bible and, and feel like God warned me not to walk in the way of this people. Do not, do not think like that. Do not walk like that. Do you ever, do you ever hear God say stuff to you like that? This, this is the Bible. This is what God sounds like to Isaiah. Saying, do not call conspiracy. All that this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear. Nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. You guys knew that Isaiah used the word conspiracy. Conspiracy. He could be like on an evening news program with those kind of words, couldn't he? Talking about the latest conspiracy that's out there. Here's a real simple observation. It's from Zondervan's study Bible. I hope you have a study Bible. Little helps along the way when you're reading your Bible, right? It says this, two different understandings of history. One, give God the central place that only the Holy One must have. Or two, explain historical events as the result of human conspiracy with the constant dread of the unknown that this view engenders. Yahweh counsels Isaiah that if he is going to dread something, it ought to be the Lord Almighty. Ahaz was modeling something else. Ahaz was lost in the conspiracy of what was going on around him. And God even shows up and says, Hey, Ahaz, put me to the test. And Ahaz sounds so noble when he says, I I will not put the Lord God to the test. While he's working a deal with the king of Assyria. I don't need to trust God because I've already fixed this. This conspiracy of others, I've fixed with this. Isn't it interesting? Conspiracy gets mentioned here alongside words like fear and dread, fear and dread, fear and dread. If if you've had a conversation, listen, you know who you are. If you've had conversations with folks who are given to conspiracy thinking... Fear and dread is always in the conversation, isn't it? Something is about to happen. Oh my God, we need to. Yeah, I get there's a lot of things that are just really headed in a bad direction under the direction of some bad people. I get that. But God steps in and says, hey, how are you going to interpret history? You, you think the conspirators are running the universe or am I running the universe? Because the second you start thinking it's the conspirators running the universe, well, there's conspirators everywhere. Everybody's conspiring to do something. The people close to you, they're all conspiring to do something. And if you think they control the outcome, well, then whatever your wife just said or your husband just said, whatever the people around you just said or your boss just said or somebody else just said, see you can't avoid living in fear and dread because you think the conspirators are in charge of everything. Somebody in your life, be careful how I say this, actually because I'm I'm just remembering counseling conversations, trying not to be too specific. Um, Somebody in your life is going to start contemplating, going in a direction that you know is going to harm you. Somebody that you depend on, somebody close enough to you. If all you have in your mind is that the power of human conspiracy is going to control the outcome of your life, you are going to live every day of your life in fear and dread, in fear and dread. And you will move that fear and dread from one character to another. Today, it's this person. Next week, it'll be that person. And a a year later, it'll be somebody else. And then it'll be whoever's in the White House. And then it'll be somebody else over here who took over in your company. It's going to take place in a new direction. You will live... In a sense of fear and dread. But God's argument through Isaiah is. Stop looking to these people this way. Stop looking to the earth. Look to me. They needed to hear that. For Unto you a child is born. Where did that child come from? Came from God. God with us. I'm going to pierce into your moment. Into your situation. But Isaiah touches another category. That I just want us to be mindful of. Tim Chester, in his commentary, he highlights that in the chapter 7, there's this reference to honey and curds. He says, the promised boy will grow up eating honey and curds. It's the food of poverty, a sign that Judah's economy will collapse. Isaiah 7 says it this way. In that day, a man will keep alive a young cow and a sheep and two sheep. And because of the abundance of milk that they give, he will eat curds for everyone who is left in the land and will And eat curds and honey. In that day, every place where there used to be a thousand vines worth a thousand shekels of silver will become briars and thorns. This is a a weird thought because we've only known a prosperous America. What if some of us in this room are going to live long enough to see an unprosperous America? I mean, you do read history, right? Everybody doesn't surf forever. Every empire that ever dominated and was ever in first place is no longer in first place. There's just one now. And that one will end too. So we don't, we don't put our hope in the prosperity of the land around us. We put our hope in God. And when we fail to do that, we invite darkness into our experience. And that's the moment that Isaiah is prophesying into. It is a day of darkness. And so I want to highlight something for us because I think we live in a similar day. This days of darkness tends to produce a distance from God's word. And it also is partly caused by our distance from God's word. So let me just bring a few observations from the context of this. We're going to apply this to our... Christmas moment at the end here. All right, so back in verse 20, to the teaching, to the testimony, if they will not speak according to this word, it's because they have no dawn. All right, observation one, distance and minimizing of God's word always ushers in darkness. Darkness if for whatever reason they have distanced themselves from interacting with God's word, that distance will usher in its own darkness. True for them, true for us. Different reasons for disrupting God's word interacting with us, but whatever disrupts God's word interacting with our lives brings a sense of darkness with it. And then it's an interesting phrase he uses here. If they will not speak according to this word, it's because they have no dawn. All right, so This is our first introduction to darkness. Right? It's like you're living in darkness. And when you live in darkness, you long for the sun to come up. For the dawn. For the beginning of light. And this is saying, you know, if you don't live in accord with this word, the sun's not coming up. It's as though they have no dawn. They're going to keep stumbling through life in the darkness. Remember, the scriptures say, in your light, we see light. This, this is the thing about the, the grandeur of God and the lack of human potential that exists. I know that's upside down in our world today. God is small and man is really big. But can I just tell you, man can't generate light. Man is never a source of light, which means we have a problem we can't solve. The human race is in a problem that we can't generate the solution for. Darkness needs light and we can't produce light. God comes right along and says, in your light, God, we see light and and. Thy word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path, right? There's lots in scripture about the light of God. Jesus said, I am, I am the light of the world. Stop for a moment and let the Bible sound ex- as exclusive as it really is. What did the son of God mean when he said that? I am the light of the world. Oh, oh, except for this and that and this. their lights too. Is that anywhere in the Bible? A little shocking to us because we're kind of these equal opportunity employers. We want there to be multiple options. And it seems unfair that God could come along and say exclusively there's only one light. But that's exactly what the Bible says. There is only one light. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Whoever follows me. All right, so there's a condition there, isn't there? How many guys know that even us who preach from pulpits have turned God into something that has absolutely no conditions to him? Absolutely none, right? God loves unconditionally, right? But here's a condition right here. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Well, what if you choose not to follow him? Well, then you will walk in darkness because the only light available to us is in proximity to him. You have to be near to Jesus. There's a reason why God's about to solve Isaiah's moment of darkness by Emmanuel being God with us. Because if I want to light this place up, you can't do it. Don't you think it's easier? Wouldn't it have made more sense for God to give a pep talk in the Old Testament instead of a savior? Come on, really, seriously. You got all these people out there. They kind of know something about God. Why doesn't God just sit down with them and say, hey, guys, you really, really, really need to take me seriously. And you need to try harder. You guys have got to do a better job of generating some light. You understand there's darkness all over the place. And you guys are going to have to, I don't know, maybe try this, change this, and do that so that some light can come into this situation. No, no, no. If there's going to be light, it's going to have to be God himself showing up in this world. Because man can't produce light. But Emmanuel can. The son who is coming can. This makes Christmas massively important, doesn't it? It produces a light that nothing else could. Now, Can I just say... If we have minimized God's word and the teaching and the testimony, we've minimized it for reasons. We're Americans. We're not not Israel back in 734 BC. So we have our own reasons for minimizing God's word. And maybe it's just busyness. We've got a lot of stuff going on. And the busier we get, the more our schedule fills up, the smaller God's word and God's voice gets. Can I tell us without signing on for this, what every time this diminishes, darkness increases every time. So this experience of ours where, yeah, I know I need to read my Bible more. Yeah, I know I need to study more now. Yeah, I know I need to learn. Every time we minimize God's word, the darkness increases in our lives. They're related. Second observation from Isaiah's moment. The vocabulary of darkness, it's felt and it has a life impact. Listen to the description of this moment in the end of chapter 8. Verse 21 says, They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. Right? Two things happen, right? You have distress, trouble is taking place, and desires are taking place. You have troubled desires right there. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their god and turn their faces upward and they will look to the earth but behold distress and darkness the gloom of anguish and they will be thrust into thick darkness notice something here this is this is what the bible would refer to as having a snickers moment You've seen the Snickers commercial? You know, when you're hungry, you're not yourself kind of a thing. You kind of get the worst version of you in that moment. Well, this this is a Snickers moment in Isaiah. They were hungry and they were enraged and speak contemptuously against God, against the king, against anybody who's responsible for this mess that we're in. They're PO'd. But don't ever overlook the fact that Hunger does that to you. You know when you're most likely to be a little PO'd? It's when you want something. When you don't care about something, it's like whatever. You know, Whatever the outcome of that is, I'm not even thinking about it. It doesn't bother me. I don't really care. You don't want anything. So you, you're not bothered by that. But just let it be in a category that you really want. Where your hunger, that sense of this needs to be satisfied in me. It's a craving. I, I really want this. As soon as you really want something, and all this stuff in the world is corruptible, you could bring out the worst in you and could be enraged. And does this sound like today? Is it just me? A hungry people who are enraged and speak contemptuously. Have you heard the way people speak in the last 10 years? They're angry in a second, in a moment. They, they could come after you over anything. Road rage exists everywhere now. It's not just on the road. It's on the internet. It's in a conversation with somebody. It will be around your Christmas tables this year when, oops, you said the wrong phrase and offended, oops, somebody else who thinks differently than you in that category and party over. Everything has just become very uncomfortable and weird among us as a family. And then somebody has to say, Okay, well, let's just see if we can open some Christmas presents now, right? <laughs> Jim Davis and Michael Graham wrote, have written a book recently, a very helpful, insightful book called The Great Dechurching. Right? This is their observation. They said, the country is increasingly partisan and politically polarized. We, we don't know anyone who hasn't lost friends over the last few years. To maintain friendship in real-world real life or online, it feels like people must agree with you on a whole new list of things that we didn't have in the past. It only makes sense, this is sad but true, it only makes sense that the fracturing of American culture and society and the erosion of American institutions has caused it would spill over into the pews into the church. This disruption, disunity, and inability would come to the church. Couples, families, friends, and congregations, once united in their commitment to Christ, are now dividing over seemingly irreconcilable views of the world. In fact, they're not merely dividing but becoming incomprehensible to one another in the body of Christ. Those of us on mission for the glory of God can't seem to figure out how to get along In these categories might it be we have begun to look to the earth and when we do it's very very critical that you see the earth the same way I see the earth and if we don't see the earth the same way I'm not sure we can be together should not God's people inquire of God rather than listening to the latest talk of conspiracy that's available to us. Observation number three, darkness comes in a variety of shades. Darkness is not stagnant. It's not the same every day. It comes to your life in different intensities. Some of you have had very, very intense year in the realm of darkness. You've experienced some things that are different. It's helpful for you to know that darkness behaves that way. That the darkness you may be experiencing right now is not the same as the darkness you experienced a few years ago? There's there's a bunch of words that get used in this passage. There's there's three different words for darkness just in this one passage alone, right? Verse 2 says, the people who walked in darkness, there's one word, it's the Hebrew word hosek, have seen a great light. That word means Literally, darkness, but figuratively, it means misery, destruction, ignorance, sorrow, wickedness. The people who walked in that stuff have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, a different word, some of it. And that word is the word that we get the shadow of death from, the shade that death brings to us. It's exactly the same word used in Psalm 23. Though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Emmanuel, God with us, right? Again, the remedy to this is God's actual presence. Then earlier in verse 11 of chapter, of 22 of chapter 8, it says, they will look to the earth But behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. A different word, aphela. And that just means gloominess and calamity. But listen to this. Mounts, who's a specialist in languages in the Old Testament, says darkness with the associative meaning of mental gloom and despair. Any of us who do any level of counseling with people and have been doing it for a long time, I don't know anybody who would disagree with me on this. There is more despair, depression, and personal gloom in people's lives today by far than 20 years ago. The average person who is coming for counseling is dealing with this feel at a level that Most of us would say, I don't remember that being the story 20 years ago. Statistically, suicide has reached all time high levels in our country in the last five years. Depression and the treatment for depression is at all time highs. Medication needed to treat depression is more common than I've ever seen it. And I'm not trying to take this topic apart. I I just would like for us to make sure we don't overlook a biblical category. We live in a world where darkness can show up this way and influence, I don't want to say cause completely, but influence the way your life feels. You could feel exactly what these words are describing, gloom and despair. And is that that just something going off in me physiologically? Is that just my circumstances? Not in this passage, it's not. It is a wave of darkness in this world that's different than what was happening earlier. Do not think what a mistake you make as a Christian not to bring these insights into daily spaces of life. Do not think that the only contributing factor to your sense of despair, depression, or darkness is your spouse. And I know, I know you'll come in for counseling and and you're ready to present the very best argument ever heard as to why my life is gloomy. You're not married to him. All right, there probably is some darkness there, but it's not the sole source of darkness. And we get really weird as Christians when we don't see the truth in these moments. Right, listen to how the Bible interacts with this darkness. New Testament. I'll read these quickly. 2 Corinthians four. Paul says, "Even if our gospel is veiled, right? there's an inability to see some things, it's veiled to those who are perishing." In their case, listen, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them. From seeing the light of the gospel. The light of the gospel dawn doesn't come for them. They don't see the light. What's causing them to not see the lights? The God of this world is blinding them to the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Acts 26. This is how God explains the ministry of Paul in where he's being sent. Says Paul, delivering you, I'm going to be delivering you, Paul, from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you. And here's the mission you're on, Paul, to open their eyes. So they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins in a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. How many many of you know those ingredients are necessary to lift this kind of darkness? Paul, I'm gonna need to send you because you know what? I know there's doctors there and there's books to read and somebody's blogging something helpful and there's influencers. I know there's a lot of resources for these people, but Paul... You're the one with the power to lift that kind of darkness because it needs the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit for that darkness to ever get off of somebody. It is a darkness associated with the power of Satan. Do we forget this? How many, how many of us are just desperately waiting for the school systems of America to get it right? Been tuning in to what's going on on college campuses? All right, now listen, healthy observation. Pay attention to what's going on in the world. But you understand that if the most godly-minded president of a university broke out the best policies that you could think of, those policies and those ideas would do nothing against this darkness run by the devil in this world. You will need a different kind of power to overcome that. The education system will not solve that problem medication will not solve that problem. Let me just say this carefully, though. You can be in a place physiologically where you need medication in order for you to find a place of stability and functioning. But but don't become monolithic and think, the only thing going on in me that is depressing, heavy, dark, disturbing, the only thing going on is going to be solved by the pill I'm about to swallow. That's not true for anybody here. It may help you at some level. And I don't discourage that you would seek that help. And it may be helpful and necessary. But there is another kind of darkness in this world. That nothing but Emmanuel can solve. Right? This little Christmas thing we got going on. It's a whole lot bigger than decorations. And wonderful counselor. Unto us a child is born. Oh, this is light that's going to displace darkness like nothing else can. This is our huge celebration. That we're about to embrace Christmas. It's massive. Everybody knows this first. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12. For we do not. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But against the rulers. Against the authorities. Against the cosmic powers. Over this present darkness. For Isaiah. This was a moment of present darkness. They had gone from one condition to a very dark place. And when Jesus shows up. It's dark in a unique way. And I think in our day. We are in a season of darkness. That none of us have seen in our lifetime. And it's not because of something you did or didn't do. It's not because of what this church is doing. Or what anybody else is doing. There are cosmic forces. That decide to ratchet up the darkness. In categories they don't come ask us about. Before they do it. And they have their own reasons. And they have their own strategies. Right? You read that in the Bible we're not ignorant of the schemes of the devil. This is a dark time in our world. Our right, one last thought on this darkness. Our own day of darkness needs the light of Christmas as much as anyone ever did. Darkness is having an impact on you. There's nobody here who so spiritually surfs and walks on water. That when darkness gets really, really, really dark, deep darkness, thick darkness, you're not affected by it. We're all affected by the attack of darkness. So I mean, I'm going to pull one other verse out for you to just consider with me. I'm going to read a quote to you before we pray. Because one of the effects of darkness, I've mentioned this a few weeks ago, and I, I just want to finish the year with this in mind for all of us. One of the effects of darkness, one of them is that it scatters sheep. When you increase darkness, sheep get scattered in that day. That's true today as much as it's ever been. But it was true in the Old Testament as well. So if you fast forwarded from 734, a little over 200 years, you will land in the voice of Ezekiel, the prophet. So you're 200 years later from Isaiah. Not exactly the same day. little, some different villains are involved now. But darkness nonetheless pervades the land. Ezekiel says this, chapter 34. He says, for thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he's among them, his sheep that have been scattered So will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered. Listen, on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And God says this, this is incredibly gracious good news. And I will bring them out from the people's. And gather them, and gather them. They are scattered. They are not gathered. And they are among the people. You don't have a lot of options here. You are either gathered with the people of God, or you are among the people of this world. And you are scattered, and God is concerned. He will gather them from the countries, and he will bring them into their own land, and I will, here's here's the word of God, I will feed them on the mountains of Israel. Right? How do they get scattered? By neglecting the feeding of God's word. God says, I will feed them by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. Ezekiel's day was a day of scattering, a day of clouds and thick Darkness. Our day is a day of clouds and thick darkness. We are living in the midst of our own day of scattering of the body of Christ. You you need to be aware of that because you know people who don't gather anymore. Or if they do, they seldom gather. To not gather is to be scattered. That's what scattering means the people that each of us know who are in this condition, the darkness is increasing and distance increases darkness. So this is an everybody responsibility. But let me just give you an insight, and this might be insightful into your own soul. One of the things that we've attempted to do as a team is just to, to try and keep up with not just, hey, is the room full on Sunday morning? But God keeps bringing people to us. So the room is getting filled with new people, which is raising the question of, where are the old people? Well, they're scattered. And that's a concern. Because scattering always brings darkness into people's lives. And we do need to figure out. I I see God in this passage in, in Ezekiel behaving a little bit differently himself when he sees scattered sheep. He does not treat them the same. I I myself, I'm going to leave the 99 and go find him, right? That, that's an advertisement. Don't think that he doesn't like the 99. It's like he's sick of us. He sees a need here that he is compelled to step into. The sending of his son is a recognition of how severe the darkness is. But listen to this from our modern setting before we pray together. This is from the... Book on the great dechurching happening, really happening around the Western world, but it's happening in America at an incredible level, and it's just too familiar. And and if this is you in some ways, maybe you're watching, please be aware of the danger of being scattered. They say no group of people is immune from the great dechurching. Presbyterians lead the dechurching. Losing about 45% of their attenders over the past 25 years. Methodists follow at 37%, Baptists at 29%, and Pentecostals at 26%. We can't lump all the dechurched into the same category when it comes to the animating concerns behind their decision to stop attending. But one large group stopped attending church without initially intending to do so. Some moved to a new city with the intention of finding a church, but never took that next step into a faith community. All right, stop right now. As I read each one of these, think of someone. Know anybody? Who that's their story? Or how about this? Many young professionals prioritized personal networks around their careers and, as a result, found themselves disconnected from a local church. Know anybody? Some families prioritized children's sports and other activities that increasingly happen on Sundays. And there are those who stopped attending church during COVID-19. They developed a new Sunday rhythms and now prefer those new activities over Sunday morning worship. We call this group the casually dechurched. Ezekiel would call them scattered. And I'm not making this stuff up. whether you're Ezekiel's day, Isaiah's day earlier, when Jesus shows up on planet earth, or you're living in 2023 in America or any place on planet earth. Distance and scattering breeds darkness in your life. So not being gathered is a problem. So here you are end of 2023 and you're thinking about your life. You might be shocked and you might get a letter from us trying to take a swing at this to help you realize. Most people think I'm in church almost all the time. Our observation and our attempts to make sure we're being accurate as possible in this, that's not the case. Busier and busier and busier lives have resulted in greater and greater and greater inconsistency. So there is a scattering here. Because there are clouds and darkness in our world. And that's concerning for all of us. So I want to make sure and bring that to our attention. As we transition into the coming year, you're going to hear us talk about that a little bit more because the great concern of God is to go after them, to find those who are scattered. And so whatever came to mind for you, maybe somebody that you used to sit in the pew next to, you used to be in your small group, somebody you used to really connect with a good bit, just pray, How, how would the Lord lead you to help that person? in this season where they've been scattered by life and by its events. All right, let me do this. Let me put us in touch with the Holy Spirit for a moment. Which means I don't want you just to listen. I want you to get personal with God. What's, what's, What's God trying to show up in your life this morning and say after hearing all this? Certainly not everything I said was something that pertains to everybody, but there's a couple of things that you heard that God is speaking to you about. This morning. And those are the things that you need to be right now saying, okay, God, when you said that, Lord, I needed to hear that. Let's bow our hearts together. Let's just invite the Holy Spirit to interact with us for a moment. This passage, spoken in Isaiah, repeated in Matthew, describes a people walking in darkness. Perhaps you're here this morning in 2023 has been perhaps the darkest year you can remember. Can you say you're among friends and family who are compassionately drawn to your moment. Our hearts go out to those who have navigated death or divorce. You have faced a discouragement that won't lift. Despair and depression seem close at hand. It's been, a, it's been a hard year. You're here honestly before the Lord right now and you're just confessing there's just a distance in your heart. A dullness toward the things of God. I want you to take note in everything that we just heard. What does God do when that's the condition? Do you notice in these stories, he doesn't move away from you. He moves toward you. I, I will seek out my scattered sheep. Even in the rebellion of Ahaz and all that was going on in the darkness of Isaiah's day, God says for unto you a child, will be born. His name will be Emmanuel. He will be with you. Lord, you will do these things. This is how you operate in grace, Lord. Not because we finally find a moment where we deserve something from you, but because you insist on being gracious to us. So Lord, here we are at the close of 2023. You are speaking to those who feel scattered and distant, Lord, who are feeling the darkness of this present hour. Lord, you are coming after them. You are coming to do something in their lives. Lord, you have not given up no matter how severe the darkness. God, darkness for you is an invitation for your light to come piercing through. Lord, there are loved ones among us who this year has been so dark that it feels like there's no hope. There's nothing coming. Good days are not ahead. Uh, Lord, it's impossible for that to be true, Lord, unless we look to the earth and the conspiracies of men. But Lord, our eyes are on you, who this month we celebrate sins, your son, Emmanuel, God with us. So Lord, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of this deep darkness, I will not fear because you are with me. Emmanuel, you are with me. Oh, Lord, would you help us be postured to start 2024 differently than 2023 is providing for us. Lord, let us hear the good news. Your son has come. Our lives will never be the same. Lord, a new day dawns because of him, not because of us, not because of politics, not because of our bank accounts, our health but because of him. In this passage is a mindful, sober warning. Let me just encourage you with it. In Isaiah's day, when trouble came and darkness increased, the temptation was to look to Assyria, to look to something besides God. Can I just ask you in 2023, what is it besides God that has occupied you, that you are looking to, that you are hoping that if, if you could just fix that, improve that, help that go to another level. If you could just do that, then hope could return. Whatever that thing is, that's looking to the earth, that's your Assyria. And God says, put me to the test. Would you not inquire of me? Would you not look to me and seek me to be the light that you need in this year that's coming? So God, I pray for any of us who right now can break out And say, God, my Assyria is this, that we would not do what King Ahaz did. We would not continue in our plans, but we would be stopped this morning and stop looking to the earth. But lift our eyes to you, to look to you, the one who sends your son to us. Oh, God, you are sufficient for everything that we need. Our hope for a day that's dawning, Lord, for light in our lives again is you. It's always you. We look to you. I'm going to say this last thing to everybody. This morning you had the unique privilege to listen to people sit in a baptism tank and and tell their story. The story about when light got personal with them. When Jesus Christ, this figure for all of humanity, found their way to them specifically. Specifically. See, at some point, God doesn't just send his son into the world. God sends him to individuals to save us. None of us get saved by being a part of a race. We get saved by responding to Jesus Christ in faith and repentance and receiving that life for ourselves. So can I just tell you, maybe you came here today and maybe this has been a really dark and difficult year for you this year. Have you responded to Christ personally? Have you turned to him in faith and said, okay, I can't fix my life. I can't make this right. I can't control people. I can't bring something of a good day into my life. But God, you can. And you sent your son into this world to save me. So this morning, you can do this right now in your own heart. You can turn to God You can say, God, this morning, you are the one that I'm looking to. Jesus, you came. You are the son declared from 734 years before you came. That that child would be born. And he would bring light to the world. And life to us. Lord, I'm, learning, I'm, I'm looking to you. Would you come and be my life? Come and be my life. If you do that this morning. You invite Christ to come into your life. Today, December 10th, 2023. A whole new day will dawn in your life and his light will become your light and you will find an eternity with him in the midst of any darkness you could ever face. So you can do that by praying. There's nothing special about this place. You can pray at home tonight. You can pray this week as you ponder that. You can pray right now where you are. You can come ask any of us to pray with you and we'd be glad to do that. Matter of fact, let me ask the prayer team if you guys would make your way forward. If you need somebody to pray with you, because whatever moment of darkness that you're in, you could use some prayer. That's what these guys are here for, just to help you take some steps in faith and pray for you that God is show up in your darkness with his great light. If you'd like to pray just for him to come into your life for the first time, you're welcome to come interact with these guys and they'll pray with you that way. For the rest of you guys, I sure hope you have an incredible time of celebrating with your families. and celebrating the holidays, do remember next week, we're going to introduce every friend that we can imagine to this moment in history, like no other moment that ever happened on planet earth, the unique moment of Christmas and what Jesus Christ did for us. So I hope you'll invite somebody and come join us for our Christmas service next week. And we'll see you. See you then. I think we have a guest reception in the bookstore today. So if this is your first time being here with us or maybe new to the church, we would love to get a chance to tell you hello. So come find your way there to the bookstore and we'll be over there in just a few minutes.